0: This is a special episode, man. This is <laughs> this is huge because I'm just going to get right into the intro and not the traditional intro because I'm sitting here with Nick Wright, someone who I've been watching since I'm 29 now, for those who don't know, and I've been watching your YouTube channel. You've, you are someone who has influenced and inspired my journey back when I was 14, entering high school, no joke. Those first videos you put up, Eating Big, the Eating Big series, <laughs> the, the Vault. Bulking yep. on a budget, these are this mm-hmm. is crazy, man. This is this is like man, I'm so happy you took the time. I'm honored and uh it's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Oh, I appreciate it, man. That's that's really cool to hear you've been watching the channel that long. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, man. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure, <clears throat> like many of the listeners, if they're in this and they've been doing this and they're around my age, like I can't imagine they don't know Nick Wright, Nick Wright bodybuilding, the Facebook <laughs> group. You know, it's crazy, man. Yeah. You're a legend, legend in the YouTube oh,
1: thank- fitness world. Thank you, thank you. It's crazy. Speaking of age, it's crazy to see how fast like the new generations come up, and like it's wild, man. Now, like now, it's like the new kids in the gym probably have no idea about my channel or anything like that. It's crazy how fast time flies.
0: You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about that today because I had to go back and just confirm. Uh, I went uh, onto your channel, and I'm like, okay, let's see the oldest video. When was it? Because that was <laughs> legit the time I was exposed to your channel. And I remember because I was in high school, literally, and I was playing soccer, and I'm like, yo. This bodybuilding thing is like it's crazy. Like, I want to do it, but is there a natural thing? And you were like one of the few people on YouTube, man, that was doing this thing naturally and exposing the world to teen bodybuilding. Like, I'm like, what is this? And then that's how it that's how it happened. And it was 14 years ago today. That's crazy. <laughs>
1: that's crazy. Yeah. It's it's great that you said that actually. Because that I remember that being my exact goal when I first got on YouTube. I was I I realized that there was no like avenue where I could watch like teen bodybuilding, let alone natural teen bodybuilding, besides like a couple of features on like bodybuilding.com and stuff. And then no one was really using YouTube yet at the time. So I was like, I can do something with this instead of waiting for bodybuilding.com to come and feature me. Cause at the time they had like that cutting series with Shane Geezy in 2007, who got me into teen bodybuilding, really. And, uh, but, I was just like, ah, instead of waiting for bodybuilding.com to come in the future, mate, uh, I'm just going to do it on this, this YouTube website here. And Dude, you're, <laughs> that was like, the goal.
0: That's like, you were pioneering the whole industry at that time because you were before Matt Ogis, before like, it, and I'm sure the listeners know about that. And you were before that, man. And I, I think, man, you paved the way for real, for real, you paved the way and you exposed it to so many people. And I'm grateful, man, because who knows, maybe I wouldn't be even doing the bodybuilding thing. Uh, as early as I started, if it wasn't for your channel, right?
1: Yeah, man, it's crazy how things work like that. It gets nuts to do something fun, and then find out later on it has all these effects on different people across the globe. It's it's mind blowing.
0: I know, I know. Are you still in? Uh, is it New Rhode Island? Rhode Island, yeah. Hey, good memory. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so you're still you're still doing your thing in Rhode Island, eh? How how is um, yeah? I, did, did you do? Were you always there, like since back in the day, or did you have times where you kind of? exited and then came back. And- yeah.
1: I was born and raised in Rhode Island, but then I did move out of state and I lived down in Virginia for a little bit, hmm. but then I, I ended up moving back to Rhode Island. And actually these days I always like battle between where I wanted to move. Cause forever I wanted to move out of Rhode Island and go to like, you know, LA was a hot spot. Texas is a big place now for fitness. And I always like battle like where I wanted to go, but there would never be a certain spot that like, I really was in love with. I always liked LA, but They're just kind of wacky over there now. Plus, it's beyond expensive, the taxation, the prices. Uh, Texas is too damn hot. I would miss the ocean. I love Texas, but to live there, I'd miss the ocean, I think. Now that I'm 31, I I decided I, I really, truly love Rhode Island. The economy is not the greatest. The government here in this state is not fantastic, but beautiful summers, and I love getting all four seasons. I'm just appreciating the state a lot more as I'm getting older now
0: nice nice yeah i've never i've been out to you're gonna get a kick out of this but and i'm sure it's not too far from where you're at connecticut yeah yeah, yeah. it's right next door yeah with uh john uh bb picks man yes
1: yes <laughs> oh my god that's funny who didn't shoot with john bb picks? if you were lifting back in like 2009 to 2013 it's like yes. you definitely did some shoot with john <laughs>
0: Hilarious, bro. You like I said, you were the one I seen your videos, then I saw Mad Oaks. I'm like, hey man, why not me? Right. So I did the whole thing with uh with a buddy of mine who was also following your channel back in the day, and we're just like, let's give it a try, man. So that's that was, awesome. that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, you actually ended your YouTube channel just mm-hmm. would last uh, probably about a year ago, right?
1: 2021. Uh, in uh I believe it was April was the month, April 2021. Could have been March, but yeah, spring of 2021.
0: Right. And what so for those, again, that don't know, what was the reason for, cause they have an idea of why you started and you know, how many people you've influenced in the industry, but what is it that made you stop? Cause now you're doing your thing with the, the fine sketch. Like that's crazy. You got some cool artistic, yeah. yeah cool artistic, um, talents. So yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. The channel was a, a, a culmin, culmination of a couple of different things. Um, a, the biggest one was the writing was on the wall. The channel was at its end. And that's just the cycle of YouTube channels. You can only do YouTube for so long. That channel had been alive and thriving for 12 years, over a decade. It had given me an incredible life. It was my livelihood. I got to travel all over because of it. I mean, just my 20s were a movie, thanks to that channel. After 12 long years, it was finally losing steam. One big thing is I really valued that channel and I was proud of building it and I wanted to retire it on a respectable note because you see, it's really common. You see this with a lot of YouTubers. You see this with a lot of musicians, even like you see with anybody who's performing, you see this a lot. It's really common where people get so wrapped up in doing what they do. They don't know how to do anything else, or maybe they don't want to do anything else. It's all they love, but they end up staying past their peak and their prime so long that they become like a parody of themselves. You know, you see with, I'm sure everybody can think of some musical artists who they loved in their prime. And now it's just like, I just kind of wish they retire. This stuff isn't that great anymore. I did not want my YouTube channel to be that. I've seen massive YouTube channels with millions of views and subs back in, you know, 09 or whatever. I've checked back on them in recent years. and Lo and behold, they're still uploading, but their videos get a couple hundred views now compared to millions. And it's like, wow. You look at the comments and everyone's just like, oh, I feel bad for this channel. I didn't want. I did not want to do that. I I loved the channel. I was proud of it. But it was just time. The views were starting to really go down. The average views were. Once the average video view began having a hard time getting above ten thousand views, that was my sign. All right, it's time to wrap it up now. And I and I, the channel was strong right up to that. You know, in twenty twenty, I did a bunch of videos, the big bench series that I did. Those all got hundreds of thousands of views. So. The channel would still have these great videos that would pop alive like that, but the average video view was really declining. And then the videos that would pop off became lesser and lesser. Um, Instead of getting millions of views, it might get hundreds of thousands of views or whatever. So basically, I saw where it was going. I was like, if we keep this up by next year, this time, we might be struggling to get 5,000 views. And uh, Mm. I just, like, like I said, I was proud of what I built. I wanted to retire it on my note. I wanted to retire it as a strong, respectable channel. That was the biggest thing YouTube wise. And I, I can't stress enough. Some people who don't do it might be like, well, it's just, it's just a website, dude, it's just a YouTube channel. Like who cares? Just enjoy making content for the people that love it. I'm grateful for everyone who stuck around watching. Very grateful. But uh, if if you ever create content, a page of any sort, you'll understand. It's like when you create something, it's like you're proud of it. You're proud of the whole structure. You want to retire it with that same pride. Uh, the other thing was, I was just kind of starting to shift gears on my personal life a lot. I had just torn my pec in the very end of 2020. And I always promised myself that once my body began really fighting back, I would finally back off of the crazy heavy weightlifting that I was doing. And so at the time I was benching two and a quarter times my body weight. It depended on what body weight I was at. I fluctuated different weight classes, but it was always over two times my body weight. I was benching raw, I was squatting over three times my body weight, deadlifting like over three and a half times or whatever. And uh, finally, I tore my pec, pushing 430, and it healed pretty quickly. And I had a lot of support from people. And um, I felt pretty good pretty fast. Thankfully, it could have been so much worse. But I took that sign seriously. Like, all right, approaching my 30s been lifting like this for how long now? How much further can I go? And if I can go further, that, that was the big thing. How much further could I go lifting wise? Okay, I'm benching 425 at 195 body pounds body weight. And I just tore my pec. Like maybe I can heal. Maybe I can squeak out a 450, maybe. And hopefully not re-tear it again. But then like at that point for what? For what? At that point it's like you're squeaking out a couple of pounds more in these PRs, really risking your body and the views aren't even popping off like they were anymore. That was the biggest thing. Like I'd post like a bench PR video and I get 25,000 views maybe compared to when I hit 405 for that first time and it was like 250,000 views off the bat. So um th- the risk and r- the risk reward was not there. I'm like what am I risking this for? There's no reward for it anymore. How much further can I really go? And lastly, I think my focus was just shifting after I healed from the bench, like enough to go back into the gym and stuff. I wasn't putting up real weight yet. But after I'd rehabbed my pec enough to where I could do regular other exercises again, I remember it was April 5th. It was my last day training legs. It was April 5th, 2021. And uh, I was squatting and I was, I finished up, I made myself finish like all the working sets of squats. It wasn't even heavy. It was like 400, 385, maybe. It wasn't heavy at all. Finished all my working sets begrudgingly. And then I was like, I'm done. I'm not even going to do my accessories because it just felt like a chore. A mm-hmm. body felt like like crap, probably from just the pec healing and everything. And it just wasn't fun. I was not enjoying being there anymore. And I remember taking a picture of that uh, squat rack and then posting it on Twitter saying like I made myself finish. And that's how I remember the date. that was posted on like April 5th or April 2nd. It was the first week of April. That was when I was done going to the gym. I never went back and trained in the gym and then of course I've since trained like at home and stuff like that, but that was the last time I actually trained legs.
0: Wow. Holy smoke. So, you know, there's quite a bit to unpack there because, so from that situation, when you had, you know, torn your pec, did that, was that like the final chapter in terms of also closing the YouTube channel? Cause it was right around the same time where you ended the YouTube channel and the pec thing, like, or did you already know you were going to wrap up the YouTube channel before the injury happened?
1: No. Um, it kind of all, they kind of were both brewing at the same time and they kind of fell in place mm. at the same time. What I mean by that is I had before the peck tear, before way, before I knew I was going to shut down the channel, I had already kind of been fantasizing about retiring the channel mentally. I was starting to get ready for it just because again, the views were going down and, uh, I was really, I think I was getting a little burnt out. Lifting had not only been my lifestyle, but it had been my job for like a decade. So I was really start, starting to get burnt out. And I was already kind of fantasizing like, man, when I'm trading, once I really get trading down, because that's what I started doing full-time was uh, trading derivatives on the stock market. I love it. I was already cool. fantasizing. I was like, man, I hope I can get to a point where I'm trading big enough to where I can just wrap up the channel. So I was already in that kind of mindset where I was getting a little burnt out, ready to move on. And then the pep tear happened. And then the two just kind of clad I'm like all right my body's fighting back there's no more risk to reward going on for lifting heavy anymore and I've been wanting to get out of this channel and then finally one day I was just like I don't want to be here anymore this is uh foolish of me to keep doing this so that's when I decided to go out of my comfort zone and just shut everything down
0: wow wow and you even shut down the website for the programs too right I saw the announcement S- still up now I'll, I'll okay
1: discontinuing it the end of July um the site itself will be up still. I'm just going to okay. basically shut down like the ability to order off of it. If somebody really wants it, they can email me or something like that. And, you know, they can just like PayPal me and I'll send it to them or something. But yeah, right. I'm, I'm going to shut down the main store. And that that's, okay. that's, that's, that's coming on like a year and a half after the channel shut down. So the store stayed strong for a while, even without me promoting it on YouTube or anything.
0: Wow. So Luke, folks, if you're looking for an epic powerlifting or bodybuilding program, head on over to Nick Wright, his website. And, uh, yeah, you can pick that up because, uh, when I saw that last video that you put up, I'm like, dude, it was like ch- my childhood just flashed before my eyes. Like no joke. It's crazy. Right. That, that last works. YouTube video. Yeah. The last one that you put po- that you posted. That's probably
1: my favorite video I ever made. I love that video. I, I cause crazy. even for me, even for me, man, get, rewatching that, I'm like, Holy crap. I get to like re like live everything in, in the span of like 18 minutes.
0: It's insane. It was a good video. It's an epic video for those again, go check that out if uh, you haven't yet. And I'm sure if anybody who's familiar with you and has been watching your channel for a long time, they'll, they, I'm sure they've seen it, but so talk to me where are you at now with your training? Like, are you still bodybuilding doing the bodybuilding thing? Are you just kind of, you know, going in the gym a couple of times a week just to stay fit? Like where are you at with that? So
1: no gym at all. I just train in my basement when I do train. And it's very minimalistic. I'm training like a, like a typical, just like a passive gym bro nowadays. Uh, I just do the bench, like three or four sets on the bench for chest pyramiding up. I'll do curls, some skull crushers, shoulder stuff, um, some abs, things like that. But that's it. It's usually just like one exercise per muscle group short, sweet in and out. And then I started like running lightly just to get cardio in and stuff like that. And then when I work out, honestly, right now, I do want to kick it back up again because the dad bod's coming in strong now, but when I work out, it's it's once or twice a week lately.
0: Wow. Okay. So, and do you find that you've been able to maintain a You said the dad bod, but okay. Body putting yeah. on body fat and maintaining muscle. Those are kind of two different things. Yeah. Do you feel like you've maintained a lot of your muscle just doing that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's the beauty of having trained for so long. Um, right. the muscle doesn't just disappear right away and the muscle memory is very real too. So if you ever stu- do start deflating, you just kick up, kick it up a little bit and then, you know, the muscle starts to fill back out again. So yeah, i I think for how little I train right now, I think I've maintained it pretty good and thank goodness for my leg genetics. I don't have good genetics for bodybuilding at all. Everyone knows that except for my legs. My legs were always the one part of me that was like genetically gifted. And I haven't trained them in a year and a half now, but they're still pretty damn big. Like it still looks like I train them regularly, thankfully.
0: (laughs) So you do nothing, like not even a maintenance level dose of stimulus? Nothing for legs, besides running, besides running.
1: It's something that nags me a little bit because I I don't want to be that guy who does no leg training. But I've been doing this thing all my life. Like I've been training all my life. It's been my life and my job for so long. And people don't realize how long I'm talking like in the middle of high school, I was bringing Tupperwares into school and like skipping social events to train and stuff like that. And it set me up for a lot of success in my twenties, but like it's been my life forever in my job forever. So I'm really enjoying just like taking a break from the training part of my life for the last year or so. So I'll get back right. into leg training eventually. I don't want to ever have chicken legs, but, uh, it's been a nice break and thankfully my leg genetics make it. So it looks like I still train legs. Thankfully, Right,
0: right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Could have been the opposite, right? Where you have good upper body genes and no leg genes. And then it's like, you know, the guy, uh, it's like, you know how it is, man. Like for the yeah. guy who has no arms and if he doesn't train arms for like, you know, two weeks or a week, it's like, where, where'd the arms go? Right. So oh, man, I'd rather, yeah. I, I would rather that than have the, the poor leg genetics for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more fun to abuse upper body trainings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly right um so with the recovery just again this is the longevity muscle podcast so maybe we could tap into that just a bit uh, before we get into some other fun topics but what did you do exactly and did you yeah i know you were in a very interesting transition in your life so i guess taking time away from the gym wasn't it's something you just did and you didn't you didn't really it didn't really bother you so much right i would assume
1: right 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 yeah
0: so it was just how- a place, i was ready for it yeah. Yeah. So um, was that, do you think that really helped as far as your recovery goes? Cause some people, they get stubborn, eh? They, they tear something or something's bothering them and they continue to push because of their aspirations to achieve whatever goal they have physique wise. Um, maybe you could speak to that a bit. Like how important was that rest in terms of the recovery?
1: Are you are you talking about the rest I, I took as far as like recently just stepping away from training or the rest I took right after I tore my back?
0: The rest right after you tore your back. Cause did you get, you didn't get
1: surgery, right? I didn't, I didn't get surgery. Yeah. The tendon, nothing ruptured. The tendon did not rupture from the bone or anything. Thankfully, it was just a muscular tear. Um, I didn't get surgery for it. Um, but yeah, I, it's like rest is, is everything. Yeah. People like the worst mistake you can make is try to like, continue to like stubbornly push through an injury, especially, or if your body's just feeling beat up, but you're not going to do yourself any favors and you really start to appreciate this in powerlifting when you're using heavy weight with with the, with a tear it was like you had to find this happy balance of uh resting it letting it heal but also working it enough so that it heals healthily and heals with strength again because if you just do nothing mm. it's going to it'll it'll heal but like it'll heal really compromised so like when you go to use it again you could probably tear it all over again or you won't have the same range of motion or function with it. So the whole first week, I didn't do a thing because the tear is fresh, wide open. First week, I didn't do a thing. Second week, I eased into recovery very lightly, just like with some light bands. If that put them around my back and just lightly pushed on them, uh, maybe leaned against the wall and lightly pushed, carefully pushed against the wall, no weight or anything like that. And then just gradually over the weeks, you know, I turned the wall into maybe like push-ups off a bench and then finally push-ups off the floor finally like push-ups with a dumbbell or something like that and just kept easing into it so like it would heal with strength and function i'd have full mobility and stuff like that i have a video on my recovery yeah i mean like, listening to your body and, do, and doing less i mean less can really be more sometimes recovery is yeah, everything
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and and was i'm sure there was a fine line between how uncomfortable it was to do some of those things and realizing mm-hmm. okay is this uncomfortable and it's helping me or is it uncomfortable and it's hurting me because those are two kind of different things right
1: yeah exactly um if if there's pain where like you're saying ow that's that's no good especially with an injury because you don't want to re-hurt the injury but there's definitely discomfort it's almost hard to like describe what the what the border would be between them the discomfort that's productive i guess would feel more awkward than, than painful, you know, like you might feel just kind of like a weird stretching and movement of the muscle that you haven't really felt before. And I remember my, my pec also felt really sore after doing just a little bit of work just because, you know, it was still healing. Like that was all normal, but yeah, if I was ever like trying to push something and I felt like a sharp pain, I'd back off immediately.
0: Got it. No, that's important for the listeners because you, you never know what someone's going through, right? And sometimes just hearing some of these things can be helpful as far as perspective, right? I know, obviously, were you working with a PT or did you do this all on your own?
1: I did all my own. I had a lot of help. Mark Bell spent a lot of time on the phone with me. He tore us back three different times. So he was right. on the phone, linking me up, uh, giving me all the information and routines that he had. And then at his disposal and then he also gave me some great contacts from people that did work in like physical therapy and recovery just to pick their brains and stuff like that on top of doing my own research i'm not necessarily recommending people go that route i think it's the safest to always go see a specialist but i i don't know maybe it was uh ignorance but i i felt really confident in the type of tear it was i'd been around the industry for a long time i would seen a lot of tears felt very confident that it was muscular and uh I felt really confident in, in just following the routines that those people had given me. And and it worked really well. So oh the one the one thing that, that was funny though that is probably one of the hardest things about recovery mentally is just kicking your ego when you're trying to do recovery work at the gym. Because I remember going in to the gym, uh, this is like maybe a month and a half into recovery. So I was able to throw some like weight on the bar again. When I say some, I mean, literally like 95 pounds max. So I had just 25s on either side of the bar, which I forget what that is in kilos. That's like, it's
0: like 40 something kilos, but you know, for those yeah. that it's important for those that are listening, you, you, so Nick, you benched like 435, 450, something like that. Right. So yes, exactly. That's like yeah,
1: 430. That's,
0: four like, that's not even warm up weight, you know, for you back yeah. in the day. Right. Yeah. 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 I used to be all the, I used to have the, um, let me see, I'll
1: tell you right now. I used to know all the pounds to kilos conversion really fast off the top of my head, but now it's been so long. So yeah, my max benching kilos for anyone watching outside of the U S was 195 kilos. Um, so when I went back to the gym, uh, I was putting on, okay. When I went, I was going to say this, I didn't want to be wrong. 43 kilos is what I was working 43. with when I went back okay. to the gym. So right. I was benching 95 and then had to drop down. To, so yeah, 430 pounds. And then was my, was what I tore my pec under. And then when I went back to the gym, I was putting on just 95 pounds and just working with gentle reps on that. But it's like you got people walking by seeing me. And I was filming it too. So it's actually funny. since people are walking by, like, what is he? This dude had this
0: tripod on
1: for. He's benching 95 pounds. So you just got to right. make sure you kick your ego when you're recovering. Focus on your recovery, not the ego.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Important, important. we talked a lot about ego on this podcast. So it's uh absolutely true. And not even just when you're injured, even to prevent yeah. injury, folks. Like, that's huge. Oh, absolutely.
1: Right? Absolutely.
0: Because do you think you do think that you could have potentially avoided that scenario from happening? Like when you think back, I know, obviously, it's like, it is what it is, you learn from it, you move on. And some things are just, yeah, unfortunately, unavoidable. But in your situation, because who knows it better than you? uh, Do you think that could have been avoided?
1: Um, I will say, I don't think it was anything irresponsible on my end training wise. Okay. I, I'm pretty confident in saying that I was at a point like when you, when you are really serious as a power lifter, I mean, it's, you really remove your ego from it. It becomes second nature ego. You never ego lift. You never really overshoot. You really learn like what you're, what you have in you that day, your temp selection, everything becomes really on point, And it really becomes about like a fine science as opposed to like just trying to hit arbitrary numbers. So everything was really by the book and the weight was moving amazingly. and Everything felt really easily. That was the other thing too. It's not like I was warming up and everything felt heavy and I still pushed it. Like the weight was those warmups, like 385 moved faster and lighter than I've ever moved it in my life. It felt like 135 on the bar. So that 430, when I unracked that, I was like in my head, I was like, oh, I have this. Like I got excited before I even went down because it felt so light in my hands. My training was really on point and 430 was the exact goal I, I had in mind. Uh, but I think what a couple of things I didn't do to my best is I had kicked up my training frequency, that program, I had started benching three times a week instead of two times a week, which is very doable and can be done safely, but you really have to make sure you stay up on your, your mobility, especially if you're not used to it. And I did admittedly kind of slack my mobility. So I, I allowed my chest, my muscles, everything to get a little tighter than I normally would. And the other thing was I felt really sinusy and like crappy that week when i went in i thought it was just like a sinus infection came to find a couple days later i actually had covid
0: <laughs> wow <so laughs> your immune so, your immune system was shot probably
1: so that might have been a huge factor too i don't know if that could have dehydrated me more on top of being tight so i for me like i guess the only two things i could think of to do differently is maybe i would have stayed up on mobility better and then, had I known I was actually sick, I would have definitely just waited to be not sick anymore. <laughs> Those are the only two things I can think of. But yeah, I, I definitely I can proudly say that like at that point I was advanced in my powerlifting training and I was a professional through and through. So I really didn't do anything ego driven in the gym anymore. Maxing out in general, you could argue is ego, but for the sport of powerlifting, like I just I wasn't doing any meat at the time, so that was like basically my meat right there. It was uh, just in the gym meat.
0: Well, yeah, and like you said, it's um. With powerlifting specifically, it's mm-hmm. going to be higher risk just because you're like, I don't tap into the loads that you're you you, you you're tapping in. for. And my goal is just hypertrophy. So it's like, and you know how it is when you're bodybuilding, it's totally different, right? And mm-hmm. um, would you say, well, first of all, are you going to go back? Do, do you find yourself ever revisiting that again in the future? Or do you're like, yeah, I'm just completely done with the powerlifting thing?
1: If I did go back, I think it would be very recreationally. Like recently I played around with benching again. I got back up to like 315, just for a oh. single and it moved, it moved really easily. But I, I remember racking it and being like, I really have no desire to go any higher. I have no desire to go back into the four hundreds. And the idea of re something again, it's just like for what? Yes. <laughs> so no, I don't think I never say never. I right now I can't picture it right now. I can't picture ever going back, at least not competitively and not to the extent that I was at.
0: And do you think that this is good for the listeners the, from the bodybuilding side? Do you think that tapping into the loads that you were tapping into relative to you, eh? Relative to, because you built your physique doing different methods and then you went into the powerlifting thing. Do you think that you need to tap into the 400s for benching and the 600s for squatting and deadlifting to build a respectable physique like you have uh, before? So, again, for those that don't know, you transitioned from bodybuilding primarily to powerlifting, so you already Correct. had like this this crazy physique before you even did the powerlifting thing. So, did you find that? A did it change your physique? Like, did it look different from body from that transition? Yeah,
1: powerlifting was the best thing for me, actually. Yeah, from oh, a bodybuilding standpoint. Um, okay. To answer your first, to answer your first question, no. If you are just bodybuilding, you do not need to worry about how much weight is on the bar. Okay. Uh, as far as one rep maxes go or chasing specific numbers go. I do believe heavyweight is phenomenal for bodybuilders. So working on hitting that overload, overloading the muscles with heavier and heavier weight is a great thing. under tension with heavyweight is a great thing. I mean, I'm a big fan of heavyweight for bodybuilders as well, but you definitely, definitely never ever need to go and max out. Like You don't need to find out what your one rep max is. You don't need to be pushing things to RPE 10 as a bodybuilder ever. And as far as transition to powerlifting goes, man, I noticed like my chest was notoriously only as one of my weakest spots and my chest actually gained thickness for the first time in my life after I started switching to power powerlifting just because of the, the, the heavy ass weight, right. the overload and the frequency of training. I gained muscle thickness all over the place. The other benefit was powerlifting really taught me how to lift. And that was after bodybuilding for like seven years and I'll, I'll die on this hill. Bodybuilders, maybe it's different now because in the age of social media, there's so much more information readily available now. But for the longest time, bodybuilders did not know how to train. Biomechanically speaking, you look at, I, I just saw a bodybuilder doing rack pulls the other day and he was doing the classic, you know, Dorian Yates, Jay Cutler video style rack pulls, and the hoodie on and everything. And the, the pull was all wrong. He was heaving it up from above his knees. He wasn't locking out his hips. There was no uh, hip extension. There was no glue activation. The things that the rack pull are supposed to target. That's how it goes with a lot of bodybuilding too bodybuilders literally just do a lot of the exercises wrong. They do it right enough to that. It works the muscle because when you move your joints from a to B, you need your muscles to move them. So you're going to involve them and work them, but are you working them optimally? Powerlifting is, is such a leverage based sport. If a lot of people I know are fans of jujitsu or grappling, and if they are, they know that's a leverage based sport. Powerlifting is, is very much leverage as well. And I, and I love those two layovers, actually. So, the same way, like you want to be above someone's center of gravity when grappling, or the, or the arm has to be cranked in the, at the right angle to get an arm bar, or otherwise, they can close it. It's the same thing with a, a squat. Bar has to be over the center of gravity. Hips have to be opening up the right way. Valsal maneuver, bracing. I have videos videos on it, of course. But, of course, everything, the leverage needs to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, it's it's like if you if you jacked up a car and the jack was tilted at all, like on its side diagonally, as soon as you, that car started lifting up, as soon as real pressure started getting going, the jack would slide and the car would flop. You need that jack to be straight up 90 degree angle. So you can push pressure into the ground, and into the car, both same deal with uh, every joint in your body when it comes to powerlifting. And so when you optimize your mechanics like that, you're able to lift the most amount of weight possible. If your mechanics are not optimized, you're not going to lift the mo- most amount of weight you're capable of. And in doing so though, in optimizing those mechanics, you're actually lifting safer now. You're moving correctly. You're activating muscles, how they should be activated. You're not putting any strain on areas where strain should not be. So I say all that to basically say powerlifting forces you to learn how to really lift correctly and safely mm-hmm. in order to lift the most amount of weight. And it can benefit all bodybuilders.
0: But there's that fine line, right? Like you had mentioned where as a bodybuilder, you don't necessarily need to take the exact approach that a powerlifter would who's competing in powerlifting, correct?
1: Yeah, correct. As far as like training intensity goes with weight and stuff like that, I do think, and, and your style of training, like the split you do can be broken up differently if you're bodybuilding, for sure. But I do think it would benefit every bodybuilder to learn the biomechanics of every lift the way a powerlifter would. Mm. Because when we, when we do anything for you know lower body, Unilateral movements. We're doing it to really work on the muscles that are supposed to be engaging there, and that's something a lot of bodybuilders don't do. So um, I think I think the mechanical aspect of powerlifting is something every bodybuilder should aspire for. And even honestly, the training frequency is is, is pretty good too. Powerlifters tend to train with more frequency. We usually train everything at least twice a week. I, a lot of bodybuilders do that do that now. But for a while, you know, bodybuilding was the bro split, you know, arms one day, right. chest one day, legs, back, whatever. And then just everything's once a week. Powerlifting twice a week. And you switch up intensities on those different days. I think bodybuilders would have a lot of looks, luck blending some of that in and not even to plug it, uh, cause the site's going down soon, but that's basically how I designed my lean strength program. I took the, the science of power lifting and blended it in in a way that allows you to really focus on your physique as well. So you can lean to to the strength side of it if you want to, and just focus mostly on that, or you can lean to the physique side of it, but the same program will work for bodybuilders and powerlifters and both.
0: Gotcha. So it's like a power building kind of approach.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I I consider it like real power building. A lot of people throw that word around. Right. Everyone, basically, if you do a bunch of curls and you max out on bench, you're a power builder, but this one's (laughs) actually like, really blending in strength with hypertrophy in a perfect, happy medium. It's, it's science-based and it's very specific. Mm. And that's the, that's the lean strength program.
0: Cool. I'll make sure look, I'm going to link that and I'll look all your programs in the description box that you mentioned today too, and the site as well. So, but you got bored of bodybuilding speak to that a little mm-hmm. bit because I know that's obviously the transition from power, bodybuilding to powerlifting was kind of like a savior in that moment. Right. You've talked yeah, about that. Yeah. What, what do you think about, cause it is very, like I get it, but powerlifting, it's like also has those aspects too. The only difference is you get to see your weight climb up like on loads. Like it could be very motivating. Would you say that's what it was for the powerlifting side of things? Cause you're just squat benching and deadlifting. Like yeah. that's just as, that's just as boring as going in and doing curls and, you know, extensions if anything, there's more variety within bodybuilding too. So speak to what excited you specifically.
1: Yeah, I think the excitement is going to be based on just the person and whatever their goal is. Because, mm. like, when I was really into bodybuilding, it, it was very exciting, just as exciting as powerlifting was, and vice versa too. Powerlifting is more you're chasing a subjective goal. I mean, I'm, excuse me. Powerlifting is more you're chasing objective. An, an objective goal. Yeah, an objective goal. You know, you either hit this number or you don't, and you're seeing your strength climb to, and it feels like you're inhuman at certain times. I mean, you feel like a comic book character. It's so cool. Um, and that's really exciting. And it's tangible. Bodybuilding is more subjective and not tangible. It's kind of opinion-based. But you know, opinion or not, you can't deny how awesome it feels when you look in the mirror and you see yourself transforming and you see veins that you didn't have before and muscles bulging in a way they weren't bulging before. So both are really fun. And it just depends on what, wherever your mindset's at at the time. For me, I was bodybuilding since 14 years old. I did my first show at 15 years old. Did it all throughout high school up until about 21 years old. By 21, a couple of things changed. A, I really finally broke away from my body dysmorphia. Um, I no longer had big, big, big arexia. I, I, I became kind of realistic with what I looked like. And I became realistic across the board. I finally was able to look at the mirror and see, oh, okay, you're not this scrawny little runt anymore. Like you do have actual size. Like, you got big arms and stuff like that. But also I was able to also like, cut the delusions down and be like, all right, but your genetics are pretty average and you're not going to be a pro or anything like that either. So that was one thing that kind of took the awe from bodybuilding away from me, just seeing it more real.
0: I got to, I want to stop you there because when you say, did you have aspirations to become a pro natural bodybuilder or were you talking more pro like IFBB, you were going to transition to the other side of things, uh, PE, the performance enhancing side of things?
1: Probably more. Nat- I think it was aiming at the natural pro back then. But when I say to become pro, I just mean in general. A lot of the good, batty pros can probably be pretty freaky on on stuff as well. But just in general, like it was just the realization that I don't have A one genetics for bodybuilding. Basically, you know how far could I really take it? The other the other thing was too, that I was starting to get just burnt out from it mentally because I was young. I was twenty one years old at this point when I left bodybuilding, and it had kind of put a huge strain on a relationship at that point. And you know, young relationships like that usually don't last anyway. But I remember feeling kind of resentful about bodybuilding. Like over that on top of a million other things, like I was like, okay, this thing is like, just like, it's sucking up my life. And, and then on top of that, I was just like, I don't feel this obsessive nature for it anymore. I don't feel like it, it's basically, I just say, wasn't the old, the old drive that was driving me, which a lot of it was like, you know, body dysmorphia and like these delusions of how far I could take it. Those weren't there anymore. Hmm. And then it just became kind of a chore and I got burnt out from it. So that's when I, I kind of retired from the stage unofficially. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And, and then I really missed performing in a sport that required like some extent of athleticism, athleticism, just meaning like you had to actually perform on game day and do something tangible. You either performed and executed or you didn't, I kind of missed that. So I was looking at different things and then I stumbled upon Johnny Candido's channel. And, uh, he was the first one to make part things seem relatable because before that it was just like fat guys with beards (laughs) using funny colored plates. Candido was the first one. I was like, Oh, that's the regular size dude like me. Using real gym plates like I use, that's pretty cool. And then I stumbled onto it, and I fell in love with powerlifting too. Then because it was, I always love lifting heavy. Strength it was always one of my big obsessions. So,
0: no, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting you brought that up and how powerlifting, whether it's the progression schemes, whether it's the lifts itself, depending on your body and you know how you're built and all that good, all that good stuff. But I remember the first one of the first programs I was on. One of the first. Was the Jim Wendler uh, five three one like that? Was that was a, oh, thing yeah. that a lot? That was a program that a lot of natural bodybuilders started using because uh, I think I'm gonna give credit where credit is due. Here, I remember Matt Ogis popularized the crap out of that program. Yes. and then I'm yes, like, eh, I should get, I should give this a try. And then of course, I see numbers going up, your physique's changing because you're doing actual. There's a progression built in versus like you said, you're going in, you're doing the bro uh, split, mm-hmm. and for some people, that sh- that works like really well not that they can't do something more optimal or better suited for their goals, but, and then there's others that they have to do everything like to a T or they're not seeing any results. I'm kind of on that spectrum. So.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, you nailed it. Exactly. Basically just have like an objective and a goal every day in the gym Mm -hmm. is what makes it fun. So with bodybuilding, like doing bodybuilding preps, the contest preps where you're shredding down wicked fun. I mean, nothing compares how fun those are to me. Those are so exciting. Uh, but like in the off season, it takes a lot of discipline to stay excited about bodybuilding like that meticulously, like on a day-to-day level in the off season. I think. Big picture in general, it's easy to stay excited. Who doesn't love lifting big, eating big, getting big, obviously. Right. But it can, it can be really easy to kind of slack off, you know, maybe eat things you shouldn't eat or eat more than you should eat and just not stay as meticulous um because it just doesn't, doesn't feel like there's a huge like it doesn't feel like there's an exact direct goal every time a lot of times when you're in like the off season for bodybuilding whereas with contest prep it's like every day it's like okay another day down we're that much closer what do we wait today but with powerlifting it's like you get a goal every single day if you're following a good program which you have to, to to powerlift it's like every day you go into the gym every week it's like a new week especially if you're being coached you're like oh what's what's the week gonna be this week how heavy do we get to go this week it's like can I do it? Your adrenaline gets going. You're getting yourself amped up to like hit some big lift. You get nervous every day, every week. It makes the gym really exciting. So I, I think it's, you know, like it comes down to whatever your preference is, but I I, I found a lot of uh, excitement and beauty in both sports.
0: No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, there's definitely crossovers and things that can be taken from, from both sides to benefit the other, right. Um, As you, yeah. as you'd mentioned, as you'd mentioned, um, they complement each other for sure. Yeah. 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 No, I've, I've also experienced, benefits as well from that i didn't go as extreme as you with the competitive side of things and whatnot but i know my limits you know but at the end of the day as far as uh or what i'm willing to the risk reward i guess you should say like that you know i didn't want that route but let's talk about you were inspired originally by like ronnie coleman which i thought was kind of which is kind of funny because you did the whole natural route and you even had a collab with him. what was that like actually first off and then we'll transition to was there anyone on the natty side that Got you inspired to keep going, I guess, because, you know, you weren't going to go over to that side anyways. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the first the first part is what was it like clapping with Ronnie? Cool thing in the world,
0: man. I mean,
1: after I I got his first DVD when I was 14 years old and uh, been obsessed all throughout my bodybuilding career. I mean, he was it to me. And so to not just be able to meet him, it was funny too, because I'd see, I started seeing him when I started traveling with sponsors, I'd see him at expos, but I never bothered to go meet him because there's always a line there. And I was always working anyway. And I was never really the type to like stand in lines and like stuff like that. So to finally, the first time I get to meet him is to train with him. I'm like, oh, I got the call from Mark Lobliner. He was bringing me out to the Arnold Classic to be in his booth that year. And then he asked me, he just really casually he was like, Hey, you want to train with Ronnie the day before? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, awesome. I'll book it. So we go there at that gym and it's like a big event. Cause it's more than just Ronnie. It's like a whole event being hosted at that gym. And at first Ronnie is not a social dude, hmm. not a big talker, not a big talker. People don't realize this. You'll see a lot of comments on like online forums saying like, Oh, I met Ronnie and he was a dick. He wasn't very friendly. It's just that he's not very social in, in 2022. Everyone's spoiled because if nowadays, if you're famous, it's because you have a personality to some extent, right? Um, You have to, to be a social media influencer, be on social media back then, Ronnie was famous because of what he did, like Hmm. being Mr. Olympia. And so we'd all hear his voiceovers and stuff like that, but he wasn't, he just was never like a super social dude. And that rubbed people the wrong way. A lot of people got kind of shied away from that. And you can see in the beginning of my video, it's almost like a little awkward. Ronnie seems disinterested, but then as if you watch, if you watch towards the end of the video, I didn't throw in a lot of the clips and I didn't even film a lot of it because I wanted to be in the moment. But you can see at the end of the video, him and I really start chatting about this and that. We're chatting about cars. We're chatting about old gym stories. Tommy broke his foot. I mean, we re- he really started opening up and coming out coming out of the shell. What I realized is the more you just talked to him like a normal person instead of like such a fan, the more he mm-hmm. really warmed up, which is what I did. But, you know, like I- I'd see it. He'd start warming up with me and then some other- somebody else would be like, Ronnie, can-, can I get a yeah, buddy? And then he'd just be like, claim up again yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah but it was really really cool man it was it was really cool and to this day and then he signed my belt and that belt was a gift to me from ariana when i first started parlor thing and i used it at my first meet and everything so the belt was pretty uh sentimental and then he signed it which is awesome but the signature oh, got worn off because he uh because i used the train with but i didn't even care because i have a whole video with like over a million views now training with him right. it's better than the signature
0: yes 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 no absolutely and um the uh you also did a collab with chris cormier Right. That was cool, too. But yeah. Even, I think that was even further back. Right.
1: Yeah, that was. Tw- yeah. Ronnie was 2015. Cormier was 2011, I think, or maybe Shit. 12.
0: Yeah, I remember watching. That's that cool it's to hear you bring that up, man. It's, yeah. This generation. They don't know, did... man. Hey, man, you don't know, guys. Listen, if you're under the age of like 28, <laughs> 29, you don't know. Go go check out the channel, man. Nick Wright. I was
1: so <laughs> amped when I had that career. I mean, you would have thought I, I, had, I got to do a video with like. Eminem or Arnold Schwarzenegger or something yeah. back then I was
0: like oh Chris Cormier <laughs> yes 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 no that was at Muscle Beach too you did uh that was at Muscle you, Beach yep you did uh quite a bit of competitions at you did the Muscle Beach that was your thing like I remember you didn't okay you did outside of that but you did that one like what was it twice or three times maybe
1: well so I only competed in it once oh but I
0: did go I did I did go to that event a lot so right. it makes sense that
1: that's what you're thinking of um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, And that was like before, like the age where expos were all like all over the place. I mean, expos were all over the place back then, yeah. but that was before the age where you saw everybody documenting them. Uh, so, yeah, I, you constantly see videos of me popping up over there doing meet and grease and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And like I'd always incorporate some footage of the competition and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was always at those events like a ton of times. And then I finally competed in one in 2012.
0: That's what it was. So was that? Hold on. When was your last contest bodybuilding side of things 2019 that was, was when re- I relatively recent
1: yeah yeah i i i i soft retired i unofficially retired i stepped away in 2012 yes and then for seven years i switched to apart and didn't do any bodybuilding and then in 2019 i returned to the stage for my last time officially and then like actually officially announced retirement there
0: hey everyone thanks so much for tuning in that's all for part one Make sure to tune in next week for part two with Nick Wright, aka NWB. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we're posting videos weekly, if not daily. Also, tag us on Instagram, share the episode. The links are in the description box below. We appreciate you. And until next time.